We thank you for your word. We pray now that we would concentrate. We pray for the kids in the Sunday school that they would be focused and by your spirit that we would be uh, encouraged and challenged in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you worried about what happens after you die? Well, uh, if you believe the... Have you seen the funeral plan ads on TV? Uh, they usually show them during Dr Phil or, uh, you know, in the daytime. And uh, according to the funeral plan ads, and I wonder, Ben, if we need to take that laptop away from the, computer, from the uh, sound system. Okay. It's getting a bit of a... Can you hear the ring where you are? A lot of massive feedback up this end. Okay, but never mind, Ben will sort that out. If you see those ads, they show them during daytime television and uh, the idea is that um, you buy into a funeral plan. Uh, according to one ad, paying them a few dollars a week, quote, removes potential anguish from your family, allows you to get on living your life to the full and get this, you don't have to worry about what happens after you die. <laughs> really. Now, of course, it might be responsible. To, I'm, I'm not knocking. If you've got a funeral plan, keep paying in. That's fine. Okay, but is that the only thing that we need to worry about when we die? Well, it's only an ad, but it does capture the spirit of our age. Because there are many people uh, as if this is all that there is. You know, there's some people who say, well, you know, when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. That we're no different from animals, from insects, from bacteria. There's no afterlife and there's no judgment. Uh, there's other people who believe that there is an afterlife, but it's a very hazy belief. You know, they'll say, well, I do believe that something happens to us after we die, but I, I don't know what. In fact, we can't know what. It's a mystery. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. I spoke to a lady who'd been going to church all her life. We're talking about death. And she said, we don't know what happens after we die. It's a mystery. She says, it's a nice thought to think we might meet up with other people, but it's a mystery. Been going to church all the life. So what's right here? Can we be more certain about what happens after we die? Now this is an important question for each one of us to face, isn't it? And it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter if you're a child or a teenager or a young adult or if you're in middle age. It doesn't matter uh, if you're like my 96-year-old grandfather asking questions about what's going to happen. This is the most important issue that any one of us must face. And that's why the Bible is so clear about this issue. In fact, today's passage is one of the clearest statements in the Bible of what happens when we die. Uh, if you care to have your Bibles open up at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul raises some issues which in the minds of his hearers were a bit hazy. Um, have a look at uh, verse 13. It's on page 836. 
this is how he starts off in verse 13. He says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. See that? We don't want you to be ignorant about what happens to those who, and we don't want you to be grieving like those who have no hope. Now, Paul had already spent time with the Thessalonians teaching them about God's plan for the future and he had taught them that one day Jesus would return and that Christians would join Jesus with God the Father in heaven. But it sounds like some of the Christians had misunderstood. It seems like they had thought that Jesus was teaching that that Paul was teaching that Jesus would return in their lifetime, uh, that he would definitely return in their lifetime and that none of them would die before the return of Jesus. Now, the problem was that some of them had now died. And so the question is, well, what happens to them? You know, are they going to miss out on the blessings of the second coming? Uh, is there hope for their future? Now, to us, this may sound like a strange problem because we live 2,000 years after the death of Jesus and many, many generations of believing Christians have died uh, since then and uh, we still eagerly anticipate the return of Jesus. Uh, we know because of where we sit in history that it was not God's plan for Jesus to return in the first century. But these were first century Christians. They didn't know that. And so Paul now wants to talk to them about this issue. The question's been raised and Paul will now address it. And that's really good for us because as Paul addresses this issue, he spells out the future, uh, the future for us, uh, the future for our world, the future after death. Let's have a look at verses 15 through to 18. In verse 15, Paul says, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the angel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and her left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever and therefore encourage each other with these words. So what are the big things that we need to know? Well, here Paul explains what will happen at the second coming of Jesus. The first thing he wants to make clear is to reiterate what he's already taught them and that is that one day Jesus will return from heaven to this world. Now, by the way, when Jesus returns, will there be anybody who will not notice? 
Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that he's already returned. Did you notice? 1914, uh, Jesus returned. Uh, it's just that it's not that obvious to anyone but them. Next time they come knocking at your door, ask them about 1914, will you? All right. Uh, when Jesus returns, friends, it'll be absolutely clear. There'll be no ifs, there'll be no buts. Uh, in verse 16, it says that there'll be a loud you know, with the voice of the archangel and, and the trumpet call of God. Now, we don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but you get the message, don't you? What's it saying? You're going to notice. It's going to be clear. It's going to be obvious. It'll be the biggest thing that's ever happened. So that's the first point. Jesus will return and you're going to notice. Second thing is this. When Jesus returns, Paul says there is a sequence of events that will happen. And the first thing that will happen is that all people who have fallen asleep in Christ, do you like that terminology? See, it's never used of Jesus. Jesus has never talked about us having fallen asleep. Jesus is always said to have died because he faced the full horror of death, the full horror of separation from God his Father. And he did so, so that death for us will be more like falling asleep. Right? See, he says that all who have fallen asleep will be resurrected from the dead and they'll have new bodies. And after that has happened, Christians who are alive at the time will be taken up in the clouds with them. And together we will ascend to heaven with Jesus to be with God the Father forever. So those who've fallen asleep, they're not going to miss out on anything. In fact, they get, uh, they, they're raised first. But it's an amazing claim, isn't it? I, I mean, how can, how can we know that that's true? In fact, how can we know that death is not the end of existence? How can we know that the afterlife is all about Jesus? Well, it's because of what Paul says in verse 14, and that is that Jesus died, and what did he do? He rose again. Uh, the historical, physical resurrection of Jesus is the proof that death is not the end. Uh, you see, after the afterlife is not just wishful thinking. It's based on fact. Um, when people ask you, how can you know that there is such a thing as life after death? How can you know that when you die, you're just not food for worms? How can we be sure? How would you answer such a person? Well, we can tell them about Jesus, can't we? We can point them to the eyewitness accounts that this man was dead and that on the third day he came back to life. Uh, he wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't revived. He'd been crucified. He'd been in the tomb. He was stone cold dead and he died for a reason. 
He died to pay the penalty for our guilt, for our sin, so that we can be forgiven. Then he came back to life with a new and a resurrected body. We can point people to the fact that hundreds of people saw Jesus. They spoke to him and people touched him. They ate with him and their lives were changed. People went from being people who were in despair because of his death transformed into people who then gave their lives over to serving the resurrected Jesus. No, Paul says Jesus died and rose again. He went to heaven and one day he will return. What will that return be like? Friends, when he returns, it will be a day of judgment. Have a look at another passage which is on the same sort of section of your Bible there. Uh, In Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, uh, verse 7, starting at the top of that second column there, he says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you who have believed our testimony to you. See, the second coming of Jesus is good news and bad news. It's good news for those who will marvel at him because they've believed and are now saved. But it's bad news for those who have lived their lives without him. Because you see, people, the people who go through their life, they might say that, yeah, I believe in God, but I just don't want God to have much to do with my life. Thank you very much. I mean, if I need to him, I'll talk to him. But Otherwise, I'm happy to go on living my life my way without God. And on this day, when Jesus returns, well, God says, well, you want to live without me? Okay, I will now shut you out of my presence forever. And friends, that is the punishment of hell. Because hell is where God and all of his love and all of his goodness is not. People say, I don't mind going to hell. All my mates will be down there. We'll be partying and be having a good time and it'll be great. No. There'll be no parties in in hell. There'll be no mateship in hell. Hell is where God and every gift from him is not. People want to live their lives without God. Hell is what they get. Uh, The the ads on TV, um, they say that if you buy into their funeral plan, then you'll have nothing to worry about after you die. Well, if you're not trusting that Jesus died for you, then you'll have plenty to worry about. And you should start worrying now and get the matter sorted out because he's coming back 
in judgment. Now, when will this happen? Uh, This is another big question in this passage, and it's a question which uh, is still on the news uh, these days. When will Jesus return? Harold Camping uh, hit the headlines earlier this year because he, remember him? He was the American man who raised and spent millions of dollars advertising and promoting the fact that uh, Jesus was going to return on May the 21st, 2001. Uh, 2011. May the 22nd was an embarrassing day for him. That was a day that wasn't really supposed to happen like that. Um, He now claims that Jesus will return and the world will end on October the 21st, 2011. Friends, you've got 33 days. Now, in this respect, he thinks that he knows more than the Apostle Paul. Because see what Paul says in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 5? Paul says, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, well, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on impregnant women and they will not escape. I wonder if you heard of the elderly couple this week living over in Cornwallis Close, you know, over near the canals area? Uh, they were assaulted and robbed in their home quite, quite viciously. Um, it was a terrible thing. Of course, the thieves could have chosen to come at any time during the day, But you know what time they fronted up? 2.30 in the morning. Uh, It's not surprising, is it? Because at 2.30 in the morning, everything's dark. People are asleep. uh, They're not expecting unwelcome visitors. And they're vulnerable. Well, Paul says, and this is a a very negative picture, but Paul says in one sense, the second coming of Jesus will be like that. Uh, it comes, it'll come when you're not expecting it. Uh, on a more positive uh, side of things, in verse 3, it'll be like the pregnant woman whose baby decides to come early when she's not expecting it. Jesus himself spoke about this. In Mark chapter 13, verse 32, uh, Jesus said, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So Jesus was saying that not even he knew when he was going to return. The only one who knows is God the Father. And so what does Jesus go on to say? He says, well, therefore, be on guard. Be alert. Be ready for it when it happens. And that's what Paul says here. In verses 4 through to 5, in verse 4 he says, But you, brothers, are not in the darkness, so this day should, that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now, so he's saying you're sons of the light, you're sons of the day. 
Uh, in the ancient world, to, to be called the son of something meant that that thing uh, that you were a son of, that that thing really expresses who you are as a person, what you're like. So there are some examples of that in the Gospels and in Acts. For example, in Acts chapter 4, we meet up with a fellow by the name of Barnabas. Now, his name wasn't Barnabas. His, his real name, does anyone know what his real name was? This is a hard question. I'll tell you, Joseph, right? But what was his character like? Anyone remember what Barnabas's character was like? He was a very encouraging person. He was the kind of person who just uplifted you and encouraged you and made you feel great and so on. Right? And so they gave him a nickname. They gave him the name Son of Encouragement. Uh, in the Aramaic, that's uh, Barnabas. Right? Son of Encouragement. Well, we are to be, in verse 5, the sons of the light the sons of the day. And what that means is that the second coming of Jesus ought not to catch us by surprise because these great truths that there is life after that Jesus will return, that there is a day of judgment, these great truths should be the truths that shape who we are as people, what we desire in life what our ambitions are, what, what, what makes us tick. We are to be sons of the light, sons of the day. Do you know what the greatest danger for us is? It's what we see in verse 6 where Paul says, So then let us not be like those who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. Let us not be like those who are sons of the night, who are asleep. How can we fall asleep to these great truths? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, falling asleep takes time. I don't fall asleep just like that. Do you? For me, I've got to wind down. I've got to get in the zone <laughs> before I get to sleep. It takes time. And that is how... It is for us, spiritually. It is the slow seduction of the world that says that what really matters is this life, how I'm living now, my possessions, my bank balance, my career, my pleasure, my family, my lifestyle, my... But you know what? There is not one of us who knows what day Jesus will return to this world or what day we will return to dust. And on that day, there's only one thing that matters. How will Jesus find you? Will he find you to be someone who is trusting that his death has paid for your sin? Will he find you to be someone who has repented of self and has given yourself over to serving God as your king, as your ruler, as your master? 
Will Jesus find that you are a person who's actually looking forward to meeting him? Or will that day for you be a day of surprise, of shame and of grief? So friends, we need to be alert. Chapter 5, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. A breastplate and a helmet. What kind of person wears those things in the ancient world? Eh? A soldier. What's Paul saying about the Christian life? Is he saying that it's a walk through the park? No. He's saying that it's actually, that we're in a battle zone. That it's warfare. You've got to arm yourself like a soldier. It is a constant battle, friends. It's a constant battle to fight off the powerful seduction of our world. Now, how do we do that? Well, there's no slick formula here, but do you notice the words that that, that Paul says that we are to put on, the things which we are put on as a breastplate and as a helmet? What is it it we're to put on? We're to put on three things. We're to put on faith, love and hope. Familiar words, aren't they? Paul used them of the Thessalonians in his introduction to the letter in chapter 1 where he said that they were known for these things. We need to keep on placing our faith in Jesus as the one who's died for our sins. We need to keep on exercising that brotherly love that we talked about last week. And we'll talk about that next week as well in the next passage where where Paul says that in verse 14 that uh, we are to... Uh, warn the idle, that we are to encourage the timid, we are to help the weak and we are to be patient with each other. We are to put on faith, we are to put on love, we are to put on hope, that hope that keeps on reminding each other that this world is not all that there is, that we are passing through, that there is a heavenly reality faith, love and hope in the battlefield that we find ourselves in. Don't give up. Don't drift away. Don't pack it in. Keep fighting the good fight is what Paul is saying. One of the TV funeral ads uh, finishes with the guy that's been telling you about the, about, the, um, about the plan, as he's told you about the plan, you see him then picking up his golf clubs and walking out of his house to go and play a round of golf. It's an interesting image, isn't it? Because he's saying, well, that he now doesn't have anything to worry about. 
uh, about when he dies. Uh, the, the, uh, the kids won't have to pick up the tab for him. He sorted it all out. Really? Well, the big question for us today is, have you sorted it out with God? Are you putting your faith in Christ? Are you looking forward to Jesus' return? And are you going to stick at it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've not left us in the dark that we are sons of the light, sons of the day. We thank you that Jesus has been raised from the dead and we thank you that one day he will return and that he will uh, take us to be with you forever in your heaven. Uh, We do pray, Lord God, that we would not lose heart, that we would keep on putting our trust in Jesus that we would keep on exercising brotherly love towards one another and that we would keep on encouraging each other with these words that remind each other of the hope that we look forward to. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.